This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, we've been in this series that we started three weeks ago called The Gospel of John. We've been journeying through the Gospel of John as a church, and we believe that there's power when we encounter the living Christ afresh in and through his gospel. There's a unique perspective that John brings to the table that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not have about Jesus, and it's been our heartbeat that you would encounter the living Christ in new and exciting ways that maybe you've never encountered him before. We're going to be in the Gospel of John through the rest of the year, so I hope you get cozy. I hope you've got a Bible. I hope you've got a pen and paper, and you're ready to take notes, and you're ready to mark up your Bible, because I believe that this is living and alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it has the ability to penetrate our hearts, but also to change our hearts, to heal our hearts, and to transform our hearts. Paul said in Romans that the gospel is the power of God into salvation for all who believe. And so we believe that. We believe that this is a saving book. It brings the story of God into our lives. The first week, Pastor Jim kicked us off talking about Christ being the light and the logos, the the creative person behind creation. And then last week, I talked about beholding the lamb, about seeing Jesus as he truly wants to be seen, as he has revealed himself to us and is revealing himself still. Today, I want to talk to us about what it means to follow Jesus. In the next few moments that we have, we're going to talk about what it means to follow our rabbi. Say, following our rabbi. We're going to follow our rabbi, King Jesus, tonight. If you have a Bible, go with me to John chapter 1. We're going to begin right there in verse 35, which is where we left off last week. Reading from the ESV, it says this, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. I want you to underline that or swipe that or highlight that in your Bible. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. Last week, we saw this picture of Jesus emerging from the Jordan River. John the baptizer had just baptized Jesus. A couple weeks ago, we did baptisms here, and it was awesome. Was that last week? It was last week. It feels like a couple of weeks ago. Time is flying by. Pray for Pastor Jason and his calendar. But Last week, we got to baptize some folks up in this place, and it was exciting because we got to join in celebration with them as they took their next step in publicly declaring their faith in Jesus, in following Jesus. And in this picture, in John chapter 1, Jesus has himself been baptized to fulfill scripture. He says, I actually have to do this to fulfill what was written about my coming. And we see the picture of the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. There, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit remained. And John bears witness to the fact that this indeed is the Son of God, the one that he himself, as a prophet, as a messenger, came to prepare the way for. John the Baptist said, I'm just a messenger, guys. 
I'm just a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, declaring, make straight the way of the Lord. Make way for God to come. Make straight all the crookedness of our lives so that the Messiah can enter in. So he himself said, you know what, guys, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah, but I'm the guy pointing people to the Messiah. I'm the one pointing people to Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus. The very next day, the very next day, two of John, the baptizer's own disciples, hear and see John point to Jesus again a second time and say, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, for those of you that, that don't know, John had his own crew. He had his own courageous crew, his own set of followers, his own disciples, his own students, his own apprentices, and they were following him, and they were modeling their life after him. And immediately the Bible says, go back one verse, Mariela, immediately after John says, behold the lamb, his two disciples bail on him. They leave John to follow Jesus. They leave John to follow Jesus. Now, I want to break down why I believe this is so pivotal to understand, and I want you to understand what's taking place here. First, a couple of definitions. To be a disciple is to be a student of and an apprentice to someone you're willing to follow. Can I say it again? To be a disciple is to be a student of and apprentice to someone that you're willing to follow. In this day and age, if you were a student and apprentice to a contractor, how many of you guys know that you would spend all of your time with the contractor? My father was a general contractor and then he became a subcontractor, but I spent a lot of time as a kid on the job site, on the job site, on the job site, <laughs> watching my dad do what he did, talk to his subs and talk to his supervisors and talk to his crew. And I started to watch my dad do this and I began to want to do this as well. Some of you maybe have friends that work in carpentry and maybe if you were to apprentice them, you would spend all of your time watching them work with wood. Some of you who work in the culinary arts world, if you were to apprentice a chef, how many of you know that you would be spending all of your time as a sous chef or as an assistant to the primary chef? You would be discipling or apprenticing that person. And here we see two followers or two disciples of John the Baptist who were discipling John, who were following John immediately follow Jesus. In the first century context of being a disciple, you would not just follow someone, you would bind your life to that person. Meaning you would commit yourself to that person fully to pattern your life after them. Meaning when they got up in the morning, you would get up in the morning. When they went and had cereal, you would go and have cereal. When they rested, you would rest. When they spoke, you would listen and take notes and be engaged and you would do what they did. You would actually be hands-on in the process. This is the context of what it means to be a disciple. You would literally take on their way of doing life and you would learn from them. Now, 
In our day and age, currently, we don't tend to emphasize apprenticeship like we used to. Back in the day before the industrial age, if you were born into the world, you would most likely apprentice your father or even your mother, right? So ladies, before you were working in the home, you were learning from your mother, you were apprenticing what mom was doing. Men, you would be apprenticing what dad was doing and you'd take on their trade. That was the way it was for hundreds, if not thousands of years, agreed? After the industrial age, Machinery came, assembly lines came, technology came, and a lot of those jobs and processes became automated so much so that now people could afford to go to school and study to be something else besides what their family trade was. Are you tracking with me? Nowadays, it's even further than that. We have do-it-yourself videos on YouTube. Anybody like to go on YouTube and apprentice yourself to your favorite YouTuber? I love DIY videos. It's how I redo stuff at my house when it breaks. <laughs> my house was built in the 70s. When I first moved in, there was a lot of stuff that I didn't know how to fix. So I went online and I started apprenticing plumbers and electricians and people uh, that pr I probably should have paid to come in and do the job. But how many of you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. And it's fun to be able to do that. Some of you you do this with YouTube. Some of you watch people on Instagram, show you how to make stuff. I like my kids because they like to get on and watch MasterChef. Anybody ever watch MasterChef? They watch these, these chefs make food and they have a kid's version now, which is cool. So the kids can go and watch these other kids make amazing meals for Gordon Ramsay's to yell at or say you did a good job. So they're essentially apprenticing, but but it's a different kind of apprenticeship because a lot of what we see today emphasized is knowledge-based apprenticeship. It's not a particular trade or even a way of life. It's knowledge. And how many of you know that in this day and age, you can get on Google and, and discover information and knowledge just about anything? Here's the problem. Just because you know doesn't mean you become. Just because you know something doesn't mean you've become something and the danger happens, I think, when we have access to Google, we have access to information, we have access to all this stuff, but it doesn't lead us to transformation. How many of you know more information does not always equal transformation? In fact, the Bible says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, meaning that you can be the most puffed up person full of knowledge and degrees and all this, all this, this information, you can have access to it, you can have all the technology in the world, but you may not have actually become the thing that you've researched or the thing that you've witnessed. And I would say this to some of you young people, be careful that you don't just fill yourself up with more information about something and think that that translates to you becoming that something that you're looking at. Am I tracking? Are you tracking? Okay. So, I think there is an inherent danger that we have to be careful of. That's why I wrote the woes of the information age, because just because we know something doesn't mean that we've become it. Now, I'm a big Star Wars nerd, for those of you that don't know. Uh, how many of you grew up with Star Wars? Yeah, you 70s and 80s kids. Uh, I was an 80s kid, so I grew up right around the time Empire Strikes Back came out. And I was never the same after my cousin brought the VHS over to my house, plugged it into the VCR, and we watched the holiday special together, as well as all the other silliness that comes with that. I was never the same. And what I love about Star Wars is this idea of discipleship that's represented in the portrayal of the Jedi. Okay, the Jedi are these warriors of light 
that have devoted themselves to apprenticing a master who's going to help them learn how to harness the force in service of other people. We see the flip side of that, which is the dark side, and the Sith who are apprenticing a master to help them manipulate the force so that they can wield power over others. Are you tracking with me? And we see this in the original trilogy. We see it with Luke, and Luke is apprenticing Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then in the next film in Empire, he's apprenticing Yoda. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I feel like I've talked to people that never seen Star Wars before. Okay, just making sure we're on the same page. All right. And in the prequels, there's this line that Yoda tells Mace Windu. I know I'm getting super nerdy, but he says, <laughs> he says, there is always, there is always two, an apprentice and the master. No more, no less. And so this undergirding idea portrayed throughout those films is this idea of first century discipleship, of binding your life to somebody to do what they did. Now, two of John's closest followers have given themselves to John, to John the baptizer, to do what John did. And immediately upon hearing the news that Messiah had come, they jump ship and are like, John, it's been nice, but we're going to follow this Messiah. We're going to follow a greater master. How many know when Jesus walked in, a greater master showed up? And John, as great as he was, couldn't take away the sin of the world. And John, as great as he was, couldn't baptize people in the Holy Spirit. And John, as great as he was, couldn't give people eternal life. Only Jesus could do that. Only Jesus could do that. But, hear me on this. Notice that John was quite fulfilled in pointing people to the master. In pointing people to Messiah. And so I want to start with this question today. And I want to ask you this. Are you okay with losing friends and losing influence in order to point people to Jesus? Are you okay losing friends and family and influence with the world and people that you love in order to point people to Jesus? Are you okay losing people in your life to point people to the true master and Messiah? I believe right now the greatest mark of the church needs to not just be gaining more influence with the world and politics. I think we should be involved in the world and politics, so don't mishear me on this. But I don't believe that the mark of the church should merely be gaining more political power and momentum in the world. I don't believe that it's more about us trying to gain followers and likes on Instagram and Facebook. It's not merely trying to build better brands and bigger buildings. I don't believe that's the greatest mark of the church. I believe the greatest mark of the church needs to be people who are willing to point people to Jesus at all costs to themselves. At all costs to themselves. Beloved, this is countercultural because it's kingdom cultural. Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things that Gentiles worry about will be taken care of for you. See, the mark of a true disciple is one that understands that their role, that your role, that my role, 
is to point people to Messiah. It's to point people to the true master when he walks in the room, when he shows up on the scene. You see, I'm not surprised that John's followers left him. I'm not surprised. You know why? Because John spent his entire ministry preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. He prepared the way for the coming of the Messiah, which means, vis-a-vis, he was preparing people to leave him and follow Jesus. He was preparing people to leave him and follow Jesus. Is it any wonder then that at the moment Jesus comes, John's disciples were willing to abandon themselves to Christ and his teaching and way of life? Not if you realize that John was actually effective in doing his job that John was born for this, that this was his purpose and one true mission and one true calling in the earth. So I want to say it again. Are you doing the same? Are you giving yourself to one mission, to one cause, to point people to Jesus, to the one who brings life? Are you pointing people to the lamb? What about in your everyday life, even in church? Are you okay if someone comes along who can do something better than you and replaces you on this platform? I've told the Lord, I said, God, if if someone comes along who's got a a better teaching gift and a better anointing for that, I'm not going to stand in their way. I'm not going to stand. You know why? Because this is his church. This isn't my church. This church belongs to him. This church belongs to King Jesus. He's the chief shepherd. I'm an under shepherd. He's the senior pastor, guys. I'm just here trying to serve my chief shepherd. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. We're trying to follow Jesus. But are you okay when that means you losing influence, when that means you being overlooked for that promotion? Yeah, come on, Lori. Are you okay with with what that means when someone passes you up for the job that you really wanted? Are you okay with losing friends and influence Are you okay with being replaced? Are you okay with other people being put in the spotlight? Friends, we have to be okay decreasing so that Christ can increase in us. We actually see this, and we're going to get to this in a couple chapters, but John chapter 3 verse 25 says this. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John the Baptist and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. He's the more popular one, John. What are you going to do about it is essentially what they're saying. And I love John's response here and I want us to hear this. And John answered, verse 27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Do you know how much confidence John had in what God had called him to, to be able to say that? Nothing we have is, is, is anything that the, God, that, that the Father hasn't given us. To stand in that place and, and to tell his disciples this, to look them in the eye, it's astounding. And he says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. I'm not the anointed one. I'm not the Messiah. But I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. And he uses this this analogy, this metaphor. He says the friend of the bridegroom, he's referring to himself, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. 
He must increase, but I must decrease. I want to go back one verse. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. John had such joy. He was so fulfilled. He was so fulfilled in what he was doing, so excited, so happy, so impassioned with what God was doing that he knew he had to decrease. He had to get out of the way. I believe that God is wanting to raise up people in the earth that have this kind of heart and attitude, that are willing to put other people first, that are willing to get out of the way so that Jesus can be put on display. Can I tell you worship team members, when we get up on this platform, our goal is to disappear so that Christ can appear. Our goal is not to bring attention to ourselves and our great vocal runs and ability and looks and all that. No, no, no. Our goal is to point people to Jesus. For those of you that don't sing or play an instrument, your goal is the same. It's to point people to Jesus, Gary. When you get up in the morning, it's to go, how am I going to bring glory and attention to Jesus? How am I going to decrease so that he can increase? I believe God's looking for this. He's looking for a generation that are willing to say, you know what? It's not gonna be about me. It's not gonna be about what I want. It's not gonna be about what makes me comfortable. No, no, no. This is gonna be about what brings glory and fame and attention to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But can I tell you something? This way is not gonna be very popular. In fact, some people are gonna view you as weak if you take this kind of stance. This, I'm gonna prefer others over myself I'm going to put other people's needs first. I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to decrease so that Christ can increase in the earth. People are going to say, you're weak, man. You're weak, bro. You're weak, lady. Come on, don't you know you're supposed to rise up? Don't you know you're supposed to overcome? Don't you supposed to know you're supposed to conquer? Don't you know you're supposed to be loud and proud and let everybody know what you think on Facebook all the time? Or... We can be like John. My joy is made complete in this fact that I will decrease so that Christ can increase, so that his name and glory and fame can be seen in all the earth, in Salt Lake City, the Mountain West, and beyond. Amen? This is exactly what Jesus himself would go on to model for his followers. We'll get to this later in the Gospel of John, but Jesus himself, as both the master And Messiah and messenger would model this by washing his own followers' feet. Listen to what John 13 says, verse 12 through 16. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? They didn't. (laughs) But he asked the question anyways. Do you understand what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because I am. If then I'm your Lord and, and your rabbi, If then I am your Lord and rabbi and I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Can I say that again? 
An apprentice is not greater than their master. A disciple is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus' willingness to serve his disciples did not diminish who he was. Do you catch that? It didn't diminish who he was, and it didn't diminish who John was. In our mindset, we think if we put other people first, it will diminish what we are. It'll put us in a bad place. What if I have to go to the end of the line? Here's a little challenging assignment for you, class. Next time you're at the grocery store, find the longest line and go sit in it. Some of you are like, who's got the, oh, that one. All right, let's go. Next time someone's with you at a crosswalk or at an intersection, let them go first. Practice this. It'll be amazing how disruptive it is to your flesh. Can I be honest? I'm from California. I like to drive fast. I don't understand why people go so slow here. But the discipline that the Lord is working in me is allowing people to go slow in front of me and me not swerving out of the way to try to get in front. Right? I'm preferring someone else over myself. And this is practical. I know it's silly, but it's, it's the calling of God upon his people that you and I would live this stuff out. You see, the way of following Jesus means decreasing so that he can increase. Jesus, before his accusers, was silent. It says, as a lamb before the shearers is silent, Jesus opened not his mouth before his accusers, and he willingly suffered, and he willingly died so that you and I would be willing to follow his example even unto death. Even unto death. We know that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, don't we, church? But you know the part of that verse that we always tend to omit? The very next part. And they loved not their lives unto death. We conveniently leave that part off because we like the whole conquer and testimony part. But there's another part of the verse and it's you and I not loving our lives, not holding them so dear that we wouldn't trust God with them. Even unto death. Right now in Afghanistan, there's believers that are cowering in hidden secret places. And I shouldn't use the word cowering because I think they're just as courageous as we are, if not more but they're facing a very real situation of death. And many of them are not loving their lives unto death. They're willingly saying, you know what? For the sake of Christ, I'm willing to go all the way. I wonder if that's your heart. I wonder if you and I would be so bold. If you and I would be willing in the face of death to go, you know what? I'm not gonna love my life unto death because greater is the lamb. Greater is the word of God. Greater is what Jesus Christ has done for me and in me. So do your worst. So do your worst. You see, like John the Baptist, I wonder, are we willing to follow Jesus unto death? That's why Jesus would immediately turn and ask the two new disciples that left John and came to follow him, what are you seeking? What are you after? And I believe this is the same question that God wants to ask all of us today. What are you seeking? What are you after? Jesus, seeing his disciples, John's disciples, so eager to follow. Bye, John, we're going to follow Jesus. Jesus' immediate response wasn't like, all right, sweet, come on, yeah. 
We just added two new members to the team. All right, we're growing. We're a success. Jesus was like, what do you want? What are you after? It's a little different when you, when you read it that way, isn't it? When's the last time we've asked ourselves this question? What are you seeking? Is it fame? Is it notoriety? Is it power? Come on, is it wealth? Is it status? Is it pleasure? What are you seeking? We could ask it this way. What do we really want from our relationship with Jesus? Why are we following and apprenticing this master? You'll notice that the disciples completely evade the question. They answer Jesus' question with a question. Verse 38. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus says, what are you seeking? And they want to know where they're going to sleep at night. This is important. I want to weave a little thread here. It would be understandable now at this moment, at the very outset of them following Jesus, that they didn't really know what they wanted. They didn't really know what they were seeking. They didn't know what they were after. They wouldn't have a clue. All they knew was that John the Baptist said, behold the lamb. And they knew what that language meant. That meant Messiah had come. And they were eager to follow him. But I personally, and this is my conviction, but I personally don't believe that they had enough time to truly count the cost. To truly consider what it would cost them to follow this rabbi. So I want to ask us today, have you counted or considered the cost of what it means to follow Jesus? Have you counted or considered the cost of what it means to apprentice and model your life after this rabbi? Or have you just added a little Jesus into your schedule? Have you just stuffed a little Jesus into your already busy and crowded life? Well, I got this going on, I got this going on, I got this going on, but I guess, Jesus, you can have my four o'clock slot on Monday. But isn't that what we do? Isn't that sometimes how we treat our rabbi? You see, for many of us, when we come to Christ, this is the elevator pitch that we hear. Come to Jesus and he'll make all of your dreams come true. How many of you guys know that doesn't always happen? How about this? Come to Jesus and he'll give you everything you ever wanted. That's not gospel. I haven't found that in here. And even if he did, do you really know what you want? Do you really know what you're after? Probably not. Or how about this one? Come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. How many of you guys know that sometimes when you follow Jesus, your problems increase? I've been following Jesus for 35 years, and I'll say this. Sometimes things get worse when you make a decision to go all in for Jesus. You ever notice when you start to try to to build new habits and new disciplines in your life, how much harder things get? How much more spiritual warfare erupts around you? Just me? Okay. (laughs) Jesus' response to them is telling. He says this in verse 39, come and you will see. Now, it would be easy for us to read this text as him answering their question, and you would be right because there is evidence within the text that Jesus was answering their question about where he would be staying. But I actually think that Jesus, being the wise sage and rabbi that he is, is actually answering answering his own question, the one that they evaded, the one that they wouldn't answer. He says, what are you seeking? And they go, where are you staying? And he says, Come and you will see. Now at face value, it it seems like he's answering theirs, but I believe it's actually both. 
Let me show you what I mean. Jesus says, what are you seeking? They evade the question. They ask him a question. He answers both questions. Come and you will see. Friends, to follow Jesus is to discover what your heart truly wants. It's to discover what you're really after. It's to come and see what it is that you truly seek. Let's face it, most of us don't even know what we want for breakfast. Luckily, I had eggs today and they were good. Most of us don't even know what we want for our own lives. And Jesus is inviting them and he's inviting us to discover the meaning of life to discover what it was that they were created for when all they're currently concerned about is where they're going to sleep at night. <laughs> Jesus, we just want to know where you're staying so we can make plans as to if we're going to follow you or not. Are you staying at the Radisson, the Marriott, or the Hilton? We need to know. This is important. Are we having a queen bed? Oh, no bed? Oh, oh wait, what? We're, we're staying in someone's house? Wait, what's going on? We're, on, we're sleeping on the floor? But Jesus, being a good savior, is trying to elevate their focus. He's really trying to recalibrate. He's trying to shift it. He's trying to refocus their hearts to see something bigger at stake here. He's calling them to grab a hold of a greater vision for their life. He's calling you and I to grab a hold of a greater vision for our lives. Make no mistake about it. Following Jesus will reveal to you the motivations and motives of your heart more than anything else will. It will expose you, it will test you, it will mold you, and it will break you. One of my pastors used to say, you either fall on the rock or the rock falls on you. Because following Jesus will bring about this work in your life. But, and here's Pastor Jason's big but. I hope you're ready for it. I was waiting all day to make that joke. But it's the only way to eternal, everlasting life. It's the only way. Later on in the story, Jesus' other disciple named Thomas comes to Jesus with a similar earthly temporal question about where Jesus is going. And Jesus responds again with an eternal answer. Listen to this, John 14, verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. People of God, Jesus is the only way to everlasting, eternal life because he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Do we believe that tonight? As we prepare to close, I want to ask us just one more time. Who are you following and what are you seeking? What do you really want from your relationship with Jesus? Is it about you or is it truly about what he wants for your life? Are you following your rabbi? Have you placed your faith, hope, and trust in him, or is it still in something else? Have you been seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness? Or have you been seeking first your own desires and schemes? To follow Jesus is to be devoted to him above all else. At Courageous Church, our top core value and our greatest priority is this, it's being devoted to Jesus. Being devoted to Jesus. Being willing to follow Jesus wherever that means, and even if it costs us our life. So I want to end with this question tonight. Do you know who owns your heart? You see, devotion is all about who gets your heart. That's why we spend so much time in worship and prayer, because worship and prayer is all about the heart. It's all about who owns your heart. 
Is it King Jesus or is it the world? Is it King Jesus or is it your stuff? Is it King Jesus or is it your boyfriend or girlfriend? Is it King Jesus or is it something else? If it is something else, I want to give you the opportunity tonight to pray a prayer that I believe will absolutely change your life. And if you're watching online, this is also for you. Maybe you're here tonight and you haven't given your heart to Jesus. Maybe there's things that have been standing in the way of you following your rabbi, as it were. And so I want to pray with you to take some next steps. And maybe you're here tonight and you've been following Jesus, but your heart just become burdened, right? You just go through life and your heart becomes burdened and weary with other things. And I want to pray for you as well. Can we do that together tonight? Father God, I thank you that you are the lifter of our burdens. You are the, the, the carrier of our cares. You said, cast your cares on you because you care for us. Jesus, you demonstrated that by going to the cross, by carrying the weight of our cares and our sin and our anxieties and our strife and our worry all upon yourself so that we wouldn't have to go through life carrying it. Confused, frustrated, overwhelmed, stressed, anxious. No, that's not the way that you want us to follow. You want us to follow in your footsteps. You said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And so God, if there's anybody in this place tonight that has just felt heavy burdened by life, by bills, by bosses, by trying to find a new job, by trying to work out relationship struggles, by anything, God, that you right now would take that off their heart. You said, come unto me, those of you that are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. God, would you give rest to your people tonight? Would you give rest to the weary? Would they just feel right now, even in these moments, just the refreshing of your Holy Spirit, just the refreshing of the wind of your spirit coming, and just reminding them, Lord, of how much you love them, and how much you're for them, how much you'll never forsake them or leave them, even when they feel alone. God, you're with us. And Lord, for those tonight that have never made a decision ever to hand over their heart and their life to you, I want to lead you in this prayer. And you can pray it in your heart or you can pray it out loud. But it goes like this. Jesus, Savior, save me. Save me from myself. Save me from all the things that have kept me bound. I believe and confess that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on that cross for me and that God raised you to life again on the third day, even though I may not understand it all yet. Jesus, come. Give me a new life of freedom and hope in you. Make all things new and fill me with your Holy Spirit all the days of my life. In Jesus' resurrected name. And everybody who believes that says amen. amen. And amen. Come on, church, let's put our hands together. Amen. amen. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.